Hey, and welcome to the Hashtag Angels podcast, where we bring you conversations about the latest tech trends with the people inventing and shaping them. I'm Jessica Varelli, one of the six founders of Hashtag Angels, and normally you'll hear us interview a guest, and we have an amazing lineup of people coming on. We can't wait to share these stories with you. But first, we'd figured we'd introduce ourselves. So today's inaugural episode is actually a little bit about us our investments, and how we built this collective together. So with that, we'll jump in. Welcome to the Hashtag Angels podcast. I'm Jessica Varelli. I'm April Underwood. I'm Katie Stanton. I'm Jana Messerschmidt. I'm Digi Agati. And I'm Chloe Sladden. And we are the six co-founders of Hashtag Angels. For today's opening episode, we wanted to introduce ourselves and tell you a bit about who we are and what we're hoping to do with the pod. I'll give you a little background before turning over to hear from the whole group. We started Hashtag Angels, an investment collective, six years ago while working together at Twitter. We formed a friendship and professional bond while working in the trenches of hypergrowth, sometimes chaos, and many life events through that journey. To break into the investing community, we decided to collaborate. We set out to share deals and pool our expertise and networks to help the founders we backed. Fast forward, and we've collectively invested in over 100 companies like Color and Clubhouse, Carta, Literati, Gusto, Nurex, Ethel's Club, Winnie, Vanta, Anchorage, Carrot, and many more. Chloe and April founded companies. Jana, Katie, and I became VCs, and Vidya has continued an executive role at Twitter. Along the way, we've shared what we've learned from our own operating experience while also learning from a network of incredible people we know across the industry. We've hosted dozens of fireside chats and in-person events to try and diversify networks and share knowledge as well as build community. These get-togethers have also made the industry a little less lonely. Let's be honest, we miss this stuff and we miss the people in our community. We can't hold in-person events right now, so we figured we'd try bringing these conversations online. We have an incredible lineup of people who are joining us on the pod. We're going to cover personal stories, career paths into tech, and industry topics like the buzz about Miami, trends in consumer health, and new social apps. We hope you'll press play on the next episode and send us feedback at hashtag angels on Twitter about who we should have on as a guest and topics you'd like to hear discussed. Over the course of the pod, you'll hear from a rotating combination of the six of us as hosts. So with that, how about you get to know us a little bit, eh? Chloe, I'm going to start with you. All right. Well, Jess, you and I started about a week apart at Twitter in 2009 when it was still a wee company of 40 folks or less. Um, And I created the media team there trying to bring new kinds of storytelling to Twitter and bringing Twitter into mainstream media. And now fast forward more than a decade, uh, I'm the co-founder of Honeycomb Labs, which is creating collaborative parenting through trusted community. And I have three little girls, which gives a hint at why I'm interested in parenting. Jana, over to you. Thanks, Jess. Um, I grew up in a very small town in the Midwest. I always loved technology um, and so decided to become a hardware engineer because I just loved knowing how things worked. 
And I would not have guessed that over the last, you know, two decades of my career now, I am working as a professional investor. Um, that was not the career path that I kind of saw. I didn't know anything about venture investing when I was an undergrad, uh, but was at Twitter for six years with all of you. Prior to that, I was at Netflix. Um, and I just love companies that kind of sit at the intersection of pop culture and um, emerging trends. April, how about you? So my career into tech starts back when I was an undergraduate. Um, I, you know, frankly came to college not knowing a lot about the private sector and really what various, you know, industries and jobs were and um, decided to take a part-time job doing tech support for internet service providers back when people were using dial-up modems. Um, I frankly took the job because I found it in the paper and it paid $10 an hour, which sounded pretty good to me. Um, But I quickly realized that if I taught myself to code, I could get off of the phone with frustrated customers and could actually start building the training modules for the other um, folks in the call center. And so I taught myself to code and ended up uh, pursuing a career as a software engineer and got to work at places like Intel and Travelocity and pretty quickly found my way to product management. And so through most of my career, I have um, worked on platforms. It's been a common thread for me since um, for the last two decades, um, from my work as an engineer to product leadership roles to um, uh, work that I've done around partnerships um, and developer relations as well. So these days, um, after um, stints at Google, um, the time we all spent together at Twitter, um, and most recently as the chief product officer at Slack, I am the CEO founder, CEO and founder of a company called Nearby, and we are bringing local marketplaces to towns around the country to make it an easy choice to choose to shop from your local retailers. So we just got started in the middle of the pandemic in 2020, and uh, we are live in Oakland and coming to more cities this year. Right on. Vidya? Thanks, Jess. Um, I am currently tired. (laughs) (laughs) That's the whole, that's it. Right there. There you go. That's a wrap. We understand. (laughs) I'm an executive at Twitter leading uh, our trust and safety, public policy, and legal teams. I got my start in tech uh, almost 20 years ago, more than 20 years ago. Um, as a lawyer working at Wilson Sonsini, which is a, fo- a firm focused on uh, startups and technology companies. And I'm super passionate right now about the intersection between tech and policy and all the interesting conversations that are happening about the future of the internet. Right on. Katie, over to you. Thanks, Jess. Um, I'm Katie Stanton. I'm the founder and general partner of Moxie Ventures, an early stage venture fund. And I'm very happy to be here with my first LP. So thank you, Hashtag Angels. And I started Moxie because I was just so inspired by what we were doing at Hashtag Angels, inspired working with great founders, great co-investors, and trying to back products and services that matter, that make a positive impact in the world. Um, Before that, I was an operator at Color, at Twitter, Google, um, and Yahoo. I got to work for President Obama in his first administration. And I love Jana's earlier point that you know, we're kind of into venture capital by accident. Like no little girl thinks to herself, I want to be a venture capitalist when I grow up. But I think it's a really an exciting time to be able to have some agency about what are the types of founders, people, products, services that you want to be aligned with. Maybe there are little girls listening to our podcast right now and uh, inspired by you and Jana and Jess. So maybe, maybe that'll change. 
Um, and to wrap it up, I'll tell you a little bit more about myself. This is Jessica. I was introduced to tech um, through a program in college uh, at Stanford. The Mayfield Fellows Program gave me a little bit of access and insight into technology startups, and I fell in love with it. I initially thought I was going to take a more traditional path and do banking or consulting, but um, changed course and ended up um, ended up pursuing a career in tech. Um, I initially started as a summer intern at a VC firm, and I was so fortunate to meet the Twitter founders when they came into pitch. I was an associate, but I just believed in what they were trying to do and was um, just enamored with the potential of the product. So I sent them an email, bought them a cup of coffee, and pitched them on hiring me. And I became uh, one of the early employees at the company. At that point, my role was technically founder's associate, which was one part calendaring meetings and helping the leadership team, um, and one part more chief of staff fill in the gaps where we didn't have anyone yet hired um, to help with different initiatives. So over time, I just loved working with founders, and I carved out a niche eventually doing corporate development and strategy. And over almost nine years, I led dozens of acquisitions all around the world um, and was able to find a job that I really loved, which was trying to get to know founders and the products they were building and seeing how I could be a part of that. So that brought me to our hashtag angels group um, and now in my full-time role as a general partner at GV as a full-time venture investor. So with that, I want to ask Chloe and April and Katie, who all recently made the leap to become founders, what emboldened you to make that leap? And did you think about yourself as a founder? Was that a career aspiration? Um, no, I, you know, I did not think of myself as a founder. I mean, and I, oddly enough, we are all already founders, the six of us. We founded Hashtag Angels um, together. And I still, you know, coming into 2020 had not um, really, you know, had this sort of life plan that at some point I'm going to get around to starting my own company. Um, but I will say that a couple of things for me that um, that sort of changed my math on that where that number one, I saw an opportunity that I just couldn't shake. Um, I felt like there was, um, there was a need that I was uniquely suited to solve for and could build a great team around it. And I had an idea and, um, it, you know, I think frankly, the, the, um, focus that came with shelter in place gave me the space to try that on and to try it out and to also can contemplate building a company in a way that gave every person on the team, the, the flexibility that they needed to be able to join a seed stage company, but also meet the other commitments that they had in their lives. And so that, you know, that unique moment in time around both the space I was going into, um, the conditions for me of having a lot of time to myself um, with, you know, phone calls with many of you <laughs> um, uh, uh, led me to um, to have that conviction to decide to start a company. And it's a completely different company um, and built differently than it would have been if I had done it um, prior to 2020. I think that there were two things, Jess, that really helped me. The first, honestly, were all of you. So with Hashtag Angels, it was having sort of the um, the strength in numbers, having the confidence, having the friendship, having the sort of positive energy around me to convince me that I could do this and also give me the experience investing and collaborating 
um, with you, with all these other VCs. And, and as we were building Hashtag Angels, as you know, we did this study with Carta and saw how much disparity that was in venture and that roughly 9% of equity was going towards women and less than 3% of funding was going towards female founding teams and realized that sometimes the best way to modernize or change institutions isn't necessarily going doing that from the inside, it's creating something new. Um, and also give a big shout out to a number of founders that we work with. I remember talking to Othman Laraki, the CEO and co-founder of Color, about trying to do this. And at first I was really hesitant. I thought to myself, this might be the stupidest idea I've ever had. He was like, of course you can do this. Like, you know how to do this. And he just was really supportive. And I think that founder community is so important. It's energizing, it's inspiring, and seeing these patterns of people around us um, that gave me the confidence to go ahead and take that big swing. Nice. So did I think of myself as a tech founder? I would say I always felt like I was driven to uh, solve problems in my own way. Like I raised money for a documentary film and got it distributed and made it and learned how to you know, direct documentaries. Uh, but I didn't see myself in the mold of a tech founder. But by the time of the end of my uh, tenure at Twitter, it was really clear to me that I just wanted to have ownership and be at the zero to one phase and feel that creative drive again. Uh, and for me, it was really about finding a partner I wanted to do it with and an idea that I loved and felt uh, passionate about. I didn't want to be a founder for a founder's sake. And it took me a while. It took me, I mean, I was having two more children, but it took me three to four years of public board work, uh, angel investing through hashtag angels and founder dating uh, here and there to find my co-founder Ramesh, who's fantastic. Um, and to feel like I had found my partner and then together we kept working on some ideas till, you know, we're both parents of young children and it just was the number one determinant of how we were going to operate as founders was how do we do this as parents and why is parenting so bloody hard? So, uh, it, yeah, it was, it's not that I, I just, I knew what passions I wanted to follow, who I need, how I wanted to feel and what kind of work I wanted to do. And that all comes together in this incredible age we live in where you could do that through technology and in, you know, Silicon Valley and elsewhere now. So, um, so much more easily. Um, and there's so many great problems to take on. So that's my story. One thread I want to pull on a bit here is that we all are privileged to be able to have the option to angel invest. Obviously that takes capital to be able to do. It also takes access to networks, and then it requires that you gain this tribal knowledge, which historically has, you know, been traded in in-person small networks um, that historically haven't been very diverse. Yeah, I mean, I think we should start with um, like what what is our product, and and like you know, I'm, I'm a product person. Like, what what did we launch when we decided to tell the world we were hashtag angels? So. We launched a Medium post, and that Medium post said that we were open for business um, and that we were going to be collaborating with each other, which is just um, basically articulating and making more transparent a lot of the way that um, angel investing has always worked, which has been very network-driven. And angel investors co-invest alongside each other. They help each other. Um, what we did was we came together, brought our shared experience, and used sort of our shared platform to, um, to, to get ourselves in front of more founders and get ourselves sort of on the map. And that one of the things that... Um, that I love about that is that 
uh, is seeing so many other alumni groups come out of other companies and take a similar approach. Like that part of it is actually quite accessible using platforms like Twitter and Medium and now Clubhouse and, and a lot of other uh, tools. You, you can get in front of an audience and, um, and make it known that you have expertise and an interest in helping companies, whether it's investing, whether it's advising. And um, we kind of tested out that thesis and, um, and that, it was, that it was sort of in a way that simple and, and um, it's been effective for us. Um, and it's built obviously over the last six years on the heels of that, you know, that early kind of modest entry into the market. You know, I think when we started this six years ago, um, angel investing still was a bit of a black box for most people, unless you happen to be a founder, um, or, you know, maybe it's just somebody who's incredibly early at a company. And, you know, I remember when we all first started talking about angel investing, I was a little scared. It's like, oh my gosh, like, you know, 95 plus percent of these companies are going to fail. And writing out a big check for the first time was like super, super daunting. And I think like by forming a group and doing it together, it like gave me probably a bit more courage to think about, um, you know, this as an avenue to pursue. And, you know, I think all of us like being able to share deal flow, being able to actually like have really good jam sessions on whether we thought these were good companies or not and having different perspectives around the table. um, I think those were all just really, really valuable. And so, you know, to take kind of like what we were doing, we realized, you know, probably within the first six months of launching, a bunch of people in our networks reached out to us and they were like, hey, like, tell me more about angel investing. What are you learning? Like, I'm kind of interested in angel investing. And from there, we decided, you know what, we should just have a dinner. And, um, you know, we had a great partner in Finn Barnes, who was at First Round Capital, and he's like, let's host a dinner. It's actually kind of funny to look back at it because we probably thought like we knew a decent amount back then. We know a lot more now, six years in, but we just had a really open conversation around what we were doing, the things that we were learning, um, you know, what some of like the terms and the economics looked like. And it was just super, super open. And from that stemmed several women who were like, you know what, I think I want to start doing this. And so, you know, that was almost six years ago. And since then, we've had dozens of events. They've taken a lot of different shapes and forms. Some of them look very similar to that first event we've had, where it's just, hey, like, let's get together. Let's talk about angel investing. Let's demystify it. But we've also done some other really incredible events. Like we did an event on how to take a maternity leave. We did a deep dive on crypto um, a few times. We also did a negotiation summit where we had Henry Ward from Carta, who's uh, one of our portfolio companies. You know, he really talked about like the ins and outs of equity and how you negotiate for it. So it's been a really fun way to take you know the privilege, access, and information that we've gained and share it with broader communities. And I think a learning for us these last few years as a group of mostly white women is the ongoing need to keep being intentional about how we diversify our networks, not just on the investing side where most of these events Jana was talking about were focused, but also with the founders we back. And we still have a lot of work to do here and have had some blind spots here too. There is an incredible concentration of wealth in this industry that is really being captured by the people who are owners in these companies. And that group is still largely homogenous. 
So folks who are founders, early employees, executives, uh, typically in technical roles or investors, tend to be the folks that benefit from ownership or becoming shareholders in these companies. And candidly, through our journey at Twitter, that's what enabled us to start angel investing. But when you look around, there are still very few women and far fewer women of color, specifically Black women, Latino women, and Indigenous women who are especially left out of this community that aren't able to benefit from being meaningful owners of these companies. And so we published research on this initially with Carta, and I think is still a very important topic in the industry that we've by no means uh, reached where we need to be. Can I shift gears and just ask a question that probably a lot of people are wondering, which is, um, Vidya, you are just so cool, and you also <laughs> do such important work. Why Why do you hang out with us at all? <laughs> Mostly because I love you. You guys are some of the most uh, inspiring and fun people in the Valley. Um but I think one of the interesting things that um, doing something like this brings for me is I'm a firmly committed operator. And despite my love for UVC gals um, in hashtag angels, it's not a path that I think I would want to pursue. But angel investing is this great opportunity to see what's happening in technology, to meet founders who are thinking about problems differently, and to keep your pul- keep a, keep your hand on the pulse, so to speak. And I think I have also loved being able to help um, portfolio companies of ours, whether um, it's you know a company that Jan has invested in or Jess has invested in, just have conversations about tech policy or regulatory changes or how to think about safety um, on the internet. And that's been really exciting for me because there's so many different approaches that I think you can't uh, see or experience when you're just at one company. Like I've been almost a decade at Twitter. I love talking to new people who are coming in and trying to fix these systemic problems that we're seeing and having. And uh, that's an opportunity that I think, you know, I wouldn't have necessarily had if we hadn't put this together from the start. I have a fun Vidya story I want to tell, which is uh, when I was leading many of our acquisitions at Twitter, we had a deal review meeting where we would come in and we would review companies we were looking at, deals in flight, and then the final negotiation for some of our um, bigger acquisitions that were underway. And sometimes these could be really contentious discussions about were we going to make a massive bet in this new direction for the company, acquire this product, make that a future investment for us, open a remote office. Um, And there was really healthy debate oftentimes very spirited, folks that have different points of view, is it worth paying this much, et cetera, et cetera. And I would sit there and I would try to present in a very disciplined way all the facts, the case to move forward, and then facilitate and and hear and listen to all the different perspectives. And more often than not, head of engineering, head of product, CEO, CFO, everybody's weighing in. And for many, many discussions, they would end with the CEO turning to Vidya and saying, what do you think? And I watched as you calmly and confidently articulated your point of view and had just earned the trust of everyone in that room to have tremendous influence with your own style that was your own. You never had to shout over other people. You never had to... um, take on anyone else's 
um, personality, you just were confident in your own skin and you earned the trust of that group. And I remember sitting in those meetings thinking, like, that's the leader I want to be. Um, and that's that's one of the like great privileges I feel like I've had with this group is just seeing a lot of that modeled and giving me a North Star for the type of leader I want to be. Jess, it's so nice of you. But it's funny, when you tell that story, I think of the first time um, I went to an operating committee meeting at Twitter, which was probably over a decade ago. And there's a big round conference table in the middle. And I had no idea if there was enough seats for everyone who was invited to this meeting. So rather than sit at the conference table, I sat in the back of the room in an empty chair. And Katie, who was um, at the table, as she should be, um, looked over at me and was like, get over here. And she insisted that I sit at the table with her next to her. And she was like, never wait for an invitation for a space you deserve to be. And it stuck with me for so long. And I, it's funny, like, even today, like, it's one of my favorite stories about mentorship and um, sponsorship. And like, I love that we have got we got to do that with each other and like help each other along the way with so many small moments like that, but also so many big moments, whether they're career transitions or children or, or whatever else we've gone through in our life. And that's been super inspirational. Hell yeah. Okay. I'm not crying, but you're crying. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one other thing to share, just, you know, this is obviously becoming a real love fest. <laughs> so welcome to the love fest on hashtag angels, but like, just there's real genuine authenticity, friendship, but support, you know, that you all have supported me building Moxie. And it's been fun that we've all been able to also invest in in local laboratory nearby. And we've been able to invest in Honeycomb and we're just there for each other. And I think, you know, these sisterhood networks are just so important, especially during these really daunting, chaotic times. One of the great serendipitous things about Hashtag Angels for me is creating this network of women who are all across the industry who didn't necessarily know each other, but being able to not just talk about investing, but talk about operating and talk about maternity leaves and talk about how to negotiate a comp package and how to start a company. And I think that that's been pretty amazing to see how people have really wanted that and that we've stumbled upon this real need. And I think I would love to see more of this personally. Like I, I think like we can't fill that entire gap, obviously, and we're not really even able to try. But it would be amazing if we could figure out a way that um, more groups, um, whether it's women or other, uh, you know, underrepresented minorities, would have access to the kind of support networks that we have. Yeah, I often talk about Hashtag Angels is sort of this like it's like this lifeboat that kind of floats alongside all of our lives and careers, and sometimes you jump in and help row the boat and sometimes you're riding in a passenger seat and we've all sort of normalized that that's okay. Um, that there are time periods where each of us just only have so much to give um, for a variety of different reasons, professional, um, having a baby, um, ha- taking care of elderly parents. There's just a lot of reasons that we all have had those moments, but you know, I, I you know, I, I often share with people that I, I think we've all talked to each other Every single day since we, um, since those of us who, um, you know, have left Twitter left. And, you know, some of us have been, have been gone from Twitter for five or six years and we talk to each other just about every day, um, on text and then, you know, call each other on the phone for advice at the drop of a hat. And I, gosh, I, I hope everybody can find a group like this because it is, 
it is. I mean, it's just, it's, it's such, it is truly a lifeline. The main criticism though, is that we cannot figure out like just one way to communicate. We're on text, we're on Slack, we're on DMs, we're on Clubhouse. <laughs> we do our best. We can't even get down to a single iMessage group. And we, if there's anybody from the Apple iMessage team who wants to talk to us about that, we would welcome your help. <laughs> And I want to just uh, dive into that notion of this community and friendship. And the truth is, sometimes the journey in this industry is really hard. When you join a hyper-growth startup, you move down the org chart before you move up. I was at Twitter for almost nine years, and I had 11 managers. (laughs) That means almost every year I was turning over to introduce myself to someone new and reestablish credibility and then over many years, like try to get promoted um, and promoted again and promoted again. Um, But it's chaotic. And so community is really important. This can take many different forms. Maybe um, like Maya Bittner, who's a founder we've backed, uh, she's just started a fintech book club. She just gets a group of people together through the internet who want to learn about fintech um, and they meet up every week or so. Um, and use that as a way to spark a little community. Maybe form a group to start advising. Maybe you're in a position to begin investing. But I hope through our conversations, what we're able to unveil is something that's broader than just investing because that's still available to so few people. But instead, is a set of conversations that makes the whole industry feel a little bit more accessible. Well, so I think one thing we haven't talked about is our investing track record. So I mean, I think I think it's an appropriate time to also just call out the fact that um, that I think that um, you know Jana, who I had the opportunity to work really closely with um, during sort of the front half of my time at Twitter, was just when she came over from Netflix, she just brought sort of a completely different level of sophistication in terms of thinking about how to do deals and how to look at um, partnership opportunities in her role as BD in BD and now as a as an investor at Lightspeed um, has not only um, just done incredible work there, but has identified a handful of consumer apps like so early that I just don't know like how she has that sixth sense to find these companies so early and she's made all of us look good and also has helped our portfolio returns look incredible. So Jana, what is your secret? And also, can you talk about some of those companies that you found super early on? I, this is Jessica. I'm going to brag about Jana for a sec. Great. <laughs> Jana, I think you're in the seed round of Cameo, Clubhouse, Bird, Carrot, Fertility, um, and many others. Oh, you guys are making me blush. I matched my sweater, which is pink today. (laughs) Um, So I think like my consumer insights kind of boil down to my roots and my upbringing. So I grew up in this really small town near Peoria, Illinois. And there's a saying that goes, if it plays in Peoria. And that's because Peoria, Illinois has been the test market for like mainstream consumer products, for plays back 100 years ago, for movies, for TV shows. And anytime I look at a consumer company, I just ask myself, like, will this play in Peoria? Like, will this actually be something that my parents would use, that my high school friends would use, that my sorority sisters would use? And I think it's been a pretty good litmus test. Um, You know, in addition to investing, it also definitely has formed 
my opinion on companies that I've worked at. So before I joined Netflix, um, Netflix had actually just launched streaming and they had their very first product, the Roku product, um, which you probably uh, either still have or had back in the day. And I sent one to my dad and I was like, dad, like, can you get Netflix streaming up and running? And within the span of a few minutes, he had the Talking Heads documentary streaming on Netflix, which he had had in his DVD queue for like months. And he's like, this is the greatest thing ever. And I'm like, this plays in Peoria <laughs> for sure. So I think that's, um, yeah, that's just kind of like one of the, the ways that I look at consumer investing is could this have broad appeal, frequent usage, daily habit? Can it be a verb? Right. Like, you know, like things like Uber, tweet, snap, like we do those things so much that they're now verbs. And so I kind of look for the potential that a company can become a verb. Well, and in terms of making a company a verb, I think we have to talk about the fact that Chloe is to give a lot of credit for the fact that you cannot watch TV without having your phone in your hand anymore. And just seeing the work and the like vision and clarity that. Chloe had so early on about, you know, getting hashtags on the screen, a simple but like incredibly powerful tool for us to establish that connection between Twitter and TV, I think is, um, I mean, it has had a profound impact on the world. And I think it bodes well for what she's going to do for parenting. Mm-hmm. Hashtag fact. So Chloe, like I don't, I just want like we we are kind of joking as as each of us went around the table and gave our own intros. I feel we like each of us each could other. give another <laughs> intro where we're like, she's the reason that you use Twitter with TV. She's in all of like the amazing breakout companies. <laughs> Katie got the president on Twitter. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. <laughs> <laughs> And Jessica is like this driving force behind making, uh, b- b- behind even identifying that there was like a need in the market for something like hashtag angels. And just for um, to give to give Chloe that full shout out, she founded and grew the early media team at Twitter. And at the time, the standard in tech companies was to have BD teams that thought about partnerships. But what she did at Twitter was think about, no, no, we need to have people embedded within news and sports and these other verticals to evangelize and um, bring them onto the platform, but also embed within their within their industries. And that ended up being a huge driving force for the company and ended up being a model that still exists today and is now employed at um, most of the major consumer uh, social networks now. To me, the driving force was who can just use this platform in the most creative way to tell stories in ways we haven't heard before that make us feel connected in ways we haven't felt connected before. And so whether that was a journalist at the New York Times or somebody on the street witnessing uh, the Boston Marathon bombing or um, a musical artist telling the story of how they came up with lyrics or what their collaborations feel like, that's that's what really drove me. And it's interesting because the work I'm doing now with Honeycomb Labs is so opposite, right? It's, it's, it's about offline connection, but it's still about community building. It's just community building saying, how can technology deepen our connections with the people we know and the families that we're raising our children with and going to school with and living around the corner from? And that's, I guess, my through line for technology is really, uh, as an anthropologist, which is my background, history and anthropology, but always a tech head, uh, similar to, to April, I was selling wireless modems in 1993. 
<laughs> the idea that you could actually be online while moving, potentially even in a car, was like mind blowing. And I was a sales rep on campus and and loved it. But the through line for me around technology goes back to that anthropology. How do we connect through technology? And I think we're at this really interesting shift from we've expanded out across the world and able to find our community across continents. You can find the people you um, share your connection with anywhere, thanks to Twitter, thanks to uh, Facebook, thanks to Clubhouse now. Uh, and, and now what I'm interested in is how do we use that technology to go inward and deeper and in real life uh, and, and you know, sort of bring the pendulum back a little bit. So I have a question for the group. We have the privilege and joy of working with an incredible set of founders across our portfolio. I'd love to hear a couple shout outs of folks that, um, folks that we've just been so lucky to back and support and hear their journey. One of the first sets of founders that we backed early on was Othman Larrakee and Elad Gill um, with Color, uh, which is now um, playing a really critical role in um, a lot of rollout of uh, testing around COVID-19 and just doing incredible work. And, you know, one of the things that I have found really interesting in becoming a founder is the opportunity to now engage with some of the founders in our portfolio, actually, as investors in my company. And so Othman is an investor in my company nearby, as is Camille Hurst, who started a company called Kit, which she sold to Patreon. And she now runs um, she now runs artists at Spotify. And so both of these folks were founders that I had the opportunity to back. And now the table is turning. And I just love the way that the, you know, in this industry sort of these these roles evolve over time. And I'm really grateful to have these experienced founders as people that are now in my corner rooting me on. One founder I've become really attached to is somebody that, Jess, you introduced me to, which is Erica Chidi, who has uh, founded Loom, which is a, um, right now it's doing online classes to help women with reproductive, sexual health, education, and body literacy. And Erica is one of the few black women who have raised millions of dollars in venture capital. And she comes outside of central casting. Um, she is a doula by background. And I think her background just really lends itself to something really important and purposeful. Like this is her life's work. This is her mission. She sees the opportunity. She sees the disparity in, um, in black women's health care and maternal health um, in particular. So when Jess introduced me to her, I just became so captivated, so enamored, and really proud to be an investor uh, in Loom. Erica's totally amazing. I hope we're able to have her on the podcast because I think her story is just incredible, and I think people would love hearing it. And Katie, one of the founders I was going to mention, you introduced to me, which is Jessica Ewing, who's building Literati. And one of the things I love about Jessica is in some ways, she has a traditional background. She was a symbolic systems major at Stanford. She was a product manager at Google. But her real passion is literature. She's a creative person. She left her job at Google to write a book, and she became inspired to try to revolutionize the publishing industry. So she's built Literati, uh, initially starting with a kid's book club. You can subscribe to get a set of books every month and mail them back, which ended up being a really helpful educational tool for parents during the pandemic, but she's grown that to a really meaningful business and now introduced adult book clubs. Um, and she's just a force of nature. She's building her company in Austin, Texas, and um, we're just really lucky to be uh, to be a part of her journey. 
I'll mention Tammy Sun, who Jan and I are, uh, we're the first investors in carrot fertility. And Tammy has this great, big, ambitious vision around uh, making fertility easier and more accessible. She really understood that the way families are forming is changing radically and that, that the workplace uh, has a role to play and that, you know, pretending or hiding fertility troubles or pregnancy or whatever you're going through, uh, it's going to be part of your workplace experience. And so how do you work with workplaces to really make that journey special, easier, more manageable, um, and not something that just, you know, in the old days, all of five, six years ago felt, uh, so complex, lonely, um, and just not integrated. So she's just Tammy is just, she works so hard. Half the time when I talk to her, I'm like, have you taken a weekend off? Are you balancing out your own life? Uh, but she has this just drive and vision that just, uh, it, she's only t scratching the surface of it uh, uh, so far uh, and is already so successful with it. And I just love people who see big, huge, new, brave worlds and are taking their time step-by-step step, uh, to, to get there. So one of the companies that I'm obsessed with, actually, Chloe, it's a company that you introduced me to. It's called Love Every. And the founders are a woman named Jess Rolf and a Rod Morris. And Jess Rolf, she was the founder of Happy Baby. Um, so if you have a young child, you've probably fed them um, Happy Baby food, which is organic food. So she sold that company for hundreds of millions of dollars and decided that the, you know, kind of thing that she had done in young children's food, she wanted to do the same thing in toys. And so it's a very Montessori approach, beautifully designed toys for children um, that are for younger ages. And the company has just done so well. One other cool fact about the company, she's building it in Idaho. And we're finally at the point that I think the world is waking up and realizing entrepreneurship is everywhere. And these companies uh, should and can be founded and funded all over the world. Um, and so I think that's another unique aspect of her story. You know, one of the really cool things that I've gotten to do, um, I didn't start out with this um, intention, but thinking about entrepreneurship um, from a different lens and tech, uh, there are some amazing women and uh, minorities in our community in San Francisco that are, are building different types of businesses. So one of the things we've all done is actually invest in great chefs like um, Dominique Crenn. She's an entrepreneur and she's outnumbered in her field. And Yeah, and also that like the market values tech, but like is like not, uh, you know, like I think there's a, a sexism and also, well, she is also like very rare among chefs of her level being a woman founder. So I've got a question to kind of wrap us up. What do you all hope people get from the hashtag angels pod? Well, I'd say I hope that we might be able to bring to the pod a little bit of the kind of just um, serendipity and surprising um, twists and turns that the conversations at our own dinners oftentimes do, which is that they often start about sort of you know, people's backgrounds and, um, you know, and what they're working on and what they need help with, but they oftentimes take twists and turns into, you know, experiences that they've had that are unique to them and unique to, you know, the ways in which maybe they're a little bit different than the other people around them. Um, and I, I hope that we can find a way to bring some of that back because the folks we're going to have on this show are people that you would want to have dinner with. <laughs> And so it's our job as your hosts to 
uh, to let that shine. I think I hope for just real talk. Like Silicon Valley can sometimes be just filled with a lot of, you know, hubris. Wait, is that the right way to say that? Mm-hmm. Hubris? Yep. <laughs> okay, sorry. I think you meant bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a way to, that's the right way to pronounce hubris. <laughs> bullshit. Where it's like everyone's on, you know, VC Twitter, living their best life and everything's going great. But I think like the reality is, is if you've, you know, been in the industry long enough, your career, your company, your journey, you're going to have a lot of zigs and zags. And so I hope that we can just have really open, transparent, real talk conversations with all of our guests. I couldn't agree more with you, Jana. It's like, how do you bring the full story? It's not just about your superpowers or the superpowers of your network, which is something we also, you know, seek to build, but it's about being vulnerable and knowing that, uh, your journey is bringing your full experience and making sure people know where you failed the doubts you've had, the friends that, uh, picked you up and cheered you on through all of that. That's the secret to a full life and to success and bringing that to the fore is something I think hashtag angels tries to do. And with a little bit of humor and a little bit of egg freezing tossed in, of course. Also, I'm really excited for people to meet the real characters of Silicon Valley, um, not the ones that are on a TV show or the ones that are painted as uh, evil and destroying the world, uh, all of which may maybe have some basis in reality. But I also think that there's so much to say for um, all these wonderful people in tech who are trying really hard to build things, to change their communities, to make a difference. And I, I want, I'm want i so blessed and lucky that we get to meet them and fund them and work with them. And I, I just want to bring a little bit of that to everyone else. I think those are all great ideas. The only other thing I would say would be you know, the importance of finding your squad and building that lifeboat together and helping one another because there's nothing better than finding people that you love and people that you get to work with. Definitely. And for me, I'm just delighted to be able to bring these conversations and stories, hopefully to a bigger audience. I think we're incredibly fortunate to have gotten to know such a, you know, extraordinary, innovative, entrepreneurial network of people through our work. And I think those stories deserve a bigger stage. So I hope... um, I hope we can do that justice. And I'm super excited and grateful for the people that um, have jumped on already to be a part of this with us. So with that. Jesse forgot all the juicy returns that we've gotten out of this. (laughs) (laughs) So with that, we are going to wrap up our very first episode. Thank you so much for listening. We would love your feedback. We are at hashtag angels on Twitter. Please tell us Who do you want to hear from? What topics do you want to hear of us dive into and how we can make this better and useful for you? And that's at hashtag angels. That is literally spelled (laughs) H-A-S-A. Okay, you get it. You guys, I think we're going to win a Pulitzer for this. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. Definitely. And that's it for the very first episode of the Hashtag Angels podcast. Our next episode is with the amazing Heather Fernandez, co-founder and CEO of Solve Health. Heather shares an inside look at scaling a venture-backed healthcare startup through the pandemic and how they made it easy for people to get COVID tests and medical care in 2020 and beyond. And we have so much more in store. 
In the coming weeks, we'll talk real estate trends and what's going on in Miami with Claire Tilke, a real estate investor and executive based in Hong Kong. We'll cover fintech and banking with Maya Bittner, an entrepreneur who sold her most recent startup to Chime. And we'll dig into the future of social networking with Seema Sistani, the CEO of House Party. These guests are amazing. We are so fortunate to know them and be able to have these conversations with them. And we're super excited to share them with you. The Hashtag Angels podcast is a production of H Industries. The episode was produced and edited by Matt Herrero, and our theme music was composed by Toby Forsman of Whipsong Music. As always, you can find us on Twitter at Hashtag Angels, so please send us your feedback, and thank you for listening. <laughs>